Hello, I'm David Hepworth. Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear, the latest of hundreds of chats Mark Allen and I have had over recent years, some between ourselves and others with musicians, authors, comedians, and other people we like. If you'd like to help make sure they continue, you might consider becoming a Patreon supporter by visiting patreon.com slash wordinyourear or just by liking or subscribing in whatever way you prefer. On with the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is brought to you by The Word magazine, media partner of Latitude Festival 2010. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Are we rolling? We're rolling. So, I want to know, how was your dressed crab? Last time I saw you, I saw you last night about 10 o'clock, and you were saying, with, with a, frankly, a smug air, you said, tonight, I'm going home soon, back to my huge, great, rolling pile in Walterswick. You know, which is, this is, this is a, a suburb of Southwell so prosperous, they have to surround it with a moat to get the hoi polloi out, Fraser. Mark and I somehow, somehow lucked his way into this place. He said, I'm, I've got to go back at a certain point. I'm going to have dress and crab in my and defense. a glass of rosé, you said. In my defence, this is true. This is true. In my defence, I did say this apologetically because you see, the, the terrible irony, listeners, as I'm sure you're aware, is that David Hepworth is a very enthusiastic, uh, enthusiastic uh, uh, patron of uh, rose-covered cottages in, in seaside towns. Uh, and I'm a, a massively uh, uh, energetic camper. Mark so Ellen is a hedge monkey. By a weird uh, 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 twist of fate, I have finished up staying in this marvellously appointed uh, cottage, you know, Tracy McLeod on one side, Richard Curtis on the other. M of Crawford. All the quality. All the quality. Uh, get up in the morning. As I say, highly appointed novelists uh, are out there with their small so, children on the so swings. So you iron in your copy of The Observer this uh, morning. Exactly. And I had a, a little bracing dip in the sea while my wife did some sketching. And we came back for a, and dined extensively on raspberries and, uh, and bacon <laughs> sandwiches. And, you know. Meanwhile. I know. And last night, now you're right, what happened was we saw about four or five songs by Bell and Sebastian. You know, the old uh, the old text message came in saying the dress crab awaits. So we had to jump in. I know, I can't believe this, because normally, as, as Fraser will testify, I, I am a rave animal, is the last one to drop, four in the morning. Well, Mark Allen's retired now, and I've taken up 
I've taken up the guttering flame. How's it going? I don't know how... I haven't I, seen, well, how was your last night? I've seen now, Fraser. Better than yesterday. Oh, better than yesterday, because I had no sleep first night, thanks to the person playing the blues. Uh, but person playing the blues has, it's, uh, you know, has, has uh, gone victim to blues fatigue and wasn't playing it last night. So I got a full seven hours and I had a shower this morning, Mark. But that's not... No, that's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> it's just again, because you didn't approach it with the right practical attitude. You haven't read the me. rules. You haven't read the small print, have you, of your contract with festivals. I haven't washed. Well, I haven't oh! Had, I haven't had a shave. And, and that's because I'm desperately hoping if I bump into any, any word readers, they think that I have been roughing it out nice. in the woods, you know. But actually, you know, I've, as you say... that. But it's what? been going well. It's going to be very well. Spotted any famous people, Fraser? No. Oh, I did. Who have you seen? I saw... I was standing on the bridge yesterday afternoon uh, trying to help my wife get in position for a uh, performance of the Matthew Bourne uh, ballet of Sleeping Beauty. I was one lake, tell a lie. And, uh, and this guy was looking at me as if he was worried I was going to try and edge in, you know, but next to where he was. And I thought, he's familiar. And then I thought, do you know... He looks like the original Hannibal Lecter. It was Brian Cox. Wow. The great actor. Who was the original Hannibal Lecter? How exciting was, was that? Was he performing? Was he on stage? No, he was just there with, the, well, I assume, was Mrs Cox or whatever. And they were, they were Camping. And then Go to the rock karaoke stage. Yesterday evening when I was going to inspect the psychedelic sheep... Uh, you know, which are covered in you know animal vegetable dye. Or That's right. There's an orange one uh, and a blue they're, one. They're all sorts of different ones. Those sheep must feel really hacked off because you know once a year somebody comes along, paints them blue. They must think, oh god, no, all that, that the noise, the people, all that, that uh, racket's going to start up again. You know? So who was who was alongside me inspecting said sheep? Keith Allen. So you know, it's good I've, work. I've seen a few celebrities. Have you seen anybody? I no, probably not. <laughs> I mean, on st- I mean, I suppose I've, I've seen some quite high-ranking people, but they've been on stage, not just wandering about with a folding chair. That's what you're talking about. I'm here, talking about yes. Rubbing I had a highlight yesterday, which I I I, I have to tell you because it was actually like something. I went to see my old pal Robin Hitchcock, who's been playing on about eight stages simultaneously, and <laughs> this wonderful production pass I'm wearing around my neck, of course, gets me uh, everywhere. Unless I actually want to sing with Bell and Sebastian, uh, I can pretty much do everything else, which is so perfect. It's a so, mercy to us all. <laughs> it is, it is <laughs> superb, and uh, saved a lot of suffering. So I, 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 I'm backstage at the Literary Tent, and Jeremy Hardy's on stage, and Robin's about to go on and play a song. And Jeremy's wife comes up with a birthday coat, some candles, and a lighter, and a load of those little poppers that you pull a string and, and they explode, and it, you know it, it, it's a big celebration. I said, "Could we go on stage in the middle of his political rant, uh, wish him happy birthday, pull the poppers, give him the cake, and and sing happy birthday with the crowd at the literary stage?" I, was, I quite enjoyed that. So you sang, sang happy you birthday. sang happy birthday. I've got some photographs of it. Got photographs. I'll be telling you as in years formed. Uh, when I played Latitude, yes, that'll be dropped. With Jeremy Harley, we've worked together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, so Bell and Sebastian, you enjoy? I enjoyed that. I saw a lot of stuff. I saw the uh, twice. I've seen the Marcus Brigstoke, uh, Rufus Hound, um, uh, Phil Jubitus uh, improv comedy set, uh, where they just read stuff out of newspapers and just try and. Uh, Ring a little um, comedy out of it, which they do very successfully. I, I, I found myself in the, the opera this morning. I saw a bit of the opera last night. Did you? In the woods. You didn't see, they didn't see the Ballad of the Saddler's Wells. Did you, you know? I don't know. I was just wandering through the woods and I thought, what does that sound like? It sounds like an opera performance and behind a tree. Sure enough, it was. Very beautiful stage set up with you know, the trees in the background. 
I do think the, the, the use of the forest it's is fantastic. It's terribly good. We were going back last night for the dress crab, uh, making our way across yeah, the pontoon right. bridge with my old pal Amanda, and suddenly we see that there's what appears to be highly drilled dancers dancing to a giant discotheque on a floating stage in the lake. Did you see this thing? No. And when we look closely, we're thinking, actually, these were rather inexpert, these, uh, these, uh, these, these particular dancers. We realised that actually it was, no, it was just members of the public. So I'm afraid to say we <laughs> got didn't. involved. Yeah. Okay. You got a rug. Yeah. She took a picture of me, um, twisting furiously. Oh. To a we... bossa nova classic. In the words of... It, it, with a sort of huge psychedelic uh, hillside behind me. I thought it was quite good. I thought I'd really made an effort. In the words of the late Hugh Green, we want to see it. <laughs> we want to see it. But, uh... Uh, and but you saw. I saw Sebastian Falks too. That was very good. Uh, Literally, how, right? What he was, was extremely. There was a lovely bit where somebody asked him a question about writer's block, and he said, um, "He said I don't believe in writer's block. He said it's God's way of, of telling you that you haven't got any decent <laughs> ideas." So it was quite good. You just got to keep. I talked about Alan Bennett and once said that he likes to. I can't possibly do the accent. Which, Dave, you can do this for me. It's a Yorkshire accent. I can't do Alan Bennett. Alan Bennett is his way to write. He had to get up every morning and sit down in, fr- in front of the, of the machine to see if anything's come in. It's a lovely idea, is it? You're looking in your mental inbox to see if you've had an idea. Checking well, the I, post. Yeah, checking, think, exactly. Checking the post. Yeah, I think yeah. the, the key thing is just got to keep working, and uh, and you know. You don't know whether anything you write is any good until long afterwards, very often. So, um, musically, you also, you saw John Grant, didn't you? Who you like? We saw John Grant yesterday, and that was rather... Uh, I'm a huge admirer of John Grant. Uh, I didn't know much about him, actually. He was in the Czars, wasn't he, Fred? Was it ten yeah. years ago? A long time ago. They made five albums. And he had, they made five albums, and he had a you know, very distinctive voice, quite distinctive way of writing, and then fizzled out for various reasons, which we shall soon discover, and we all know, probably, um, for about ten years, it was, it was out of focus and was in a, in a sense kind of rediscovered partly by the patronage of Midlake about to be on stage in fact at about um, 20 minutes time and they just were very enthusiastic about his old records and said they would help manage promote give him a studio uh, and generally reactivate his career and I like this record so much we played it um, 70s Johnson Kate Mossman and myself particularly very fond of this and you were too actually oh, yeah. in, the, in the word office so he got played a lot I think with community singing been on the word and CD so I thought, I'd been on the word CD and there was a point yesterday when he was about to come on stage and I thought well I, I, I'd like to get quite close because the wonderful thing about festivals like this with huge screens is there is no real reason to be at the front. In fact, you can see quite a lot better if you look a bit further back and see the, the Diamond Visions, you know. So I spent most of John Grant's set on my own, pressed against the railings underneath the stage like a kind of teenager, watching it. It was absolutely fantastic. And, and afterwards... And, you know, Kate and uh, uh, Mossman, who's, uh, again, possibly a much bigger fan, actually, than I am, an obsessive fan, when told... Dangerously her, so. Dangerously so. Uh, when told that her main job this weekend would be to escort... Uh, John Grant to the word signing tent to meet his people. Virtually passed out, didn't she? So Mosses and myself called him and said, would you like to come in and, and talk to us? And it was terrific, absolutely terrific. I said, you'll play it now, in fact. He came into this uh, overheated uh, porter cabin and we had about 25 minutes of extraordinary um, conversation. So can you hear, actually, or feel, people listening, the incredible... Hello. Powerful. Can you hear hear the the, the, the drums? I can hear the vibes and the beats and the the reverb. That's amazing. amazing. I love that. The entire. You can feel it right in the testicles. (laughs) (laughs) That's good bass. That's (laughs) good bass. That (laughs) is. How very exciting! We've just been joined very briefly by John Grant. 
Uh, welcome, John. Thank you very much. And we have Kate Osman here. here as well. Kate and I are enormous. Uh, we can't conceal our admiration no. for John. I was just <laughs> saying this is kind of unusual because often when I interview people, I'm very detached because I'm not bothered about their stuff. <laughs> With right. you, I actually am. So I just thought, what I'm going to do is sit there and say, how come you're so great? <laughs> yes, it's going to be one of those. It's like being interviewed by Hello Magazine. I know. <laughs> you know, how are you? How are you so brilliant? You're really great. Writing? Care to comment? Care to comment, <laughs> exactly. In fact, Kate, didn't you? Am I right? When, when he, John played the Union Chapel in London uh, about, was it a month ago, didn't you go up and look at his yeah, keyboard? Yeah, we, we all, um, we went along to see him and uh, I was interested in this keyboard, which you have, which has all these very, it reminds me of a keyboard I had when I was a kid that had a voice called Dog Piano. Wow. <laughs> which is basically a kind of um, synthetic yap sound that you could tune and it was amazing. So the album was full of all these weird things and I went up and uh, had a look at what kind of keyboard it was and then yeah. I looked it up online and saw if I could buy one but it was too expensive. So yeah, They're really expensive. Really expensive, they're aren't really they? expensive they're, yeah. they're, 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 those, those Swedes, everything's expensive yeah. up there. The Scandinavians in general, I would say. Yeah. I've sort of fallen in love with Scandinavia, but it's so damn expensive. How up did there. you first find out about those keyboards? Because they're quite retro in their sound, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, um, they were some of the first, uh, first of that generation of digital analog keyboards mm. that were supposed to recreate digitally that sound from the analog keyboards. So of course, you know, most people say that they that they have not been successful in doing that. Um, <laughs> but it has a the, the Nords from uh, it's a company called Clavia and they make, you know, the Nord stage and the Nord leads and all yeah. that. And um, I just remember going over to a guy's house in Denver a long time ago and he had one and I you know, crap my diaper right away. You know? <laughs> I just, <laughs> you know, I just couldn't believe what I, I was seeing or hearing. Yeah, you know? and they're bright red, aren't they? This is a Nordlied yeah. three for anyone interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're <laughs> always. Kind of it's funny the Mid- Midlake boys. They have a. Um, yeah, um, the Midlake boys have a, a stage uh, from Nord as well, but they don't like that red color, so they've got all this gray tape on it to no. cover up the color. Yeah, wow. but I, I dig it. Less likely to get stolen, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I suppose if it looks crap, yeah. yeah. I mean, they do cost, you know, 3000 They are. They're about $3,000, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That the stage is for sure. Mm. Explain the relationship with Midlake, who are actually playing on our stage in about two hours' time, aren't they? What was what was the involvement with, with Midlake? Um, we had both been on uh, Bella Union for many years, and uh, I was sort of fed up with the music business. You know, I hadn't had any success with my group, The Czars, and we all hated each other, and... <laughs> You know, I, I was Standard just rock and roll stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I was doing my, I was doing the, um, uh, the prerequisite for the, uh, for the book. You know, by, for my book or my Hollywood movie by, you know, getting in deep into the drink and the drugs yeah. and everything. So I was just sort of floundering about, and I was really, you know, depressed about the music industry. And they sort of, you know, just picked me up and and sort of they asked me to play a couple of shows with them, and they they loved my voice so much that they kept uh, bugging me to come and do an album with them and you know I was and they you know the offer that they were giving me was or what they were offering was come and use our studio for free mm. come and live with us for free and oh, we'll really? be your backing band for free and we'll play your album so that's a pretty generous offer yeah. isn't it it's, it's an, amazing tick, tick, every box I think yeah it's and like so obviously you know as any as any you know, good human would be, I was skeptical and didn't believe them. You yeah, know. Well, what's the catch? In this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, you have to clean. Just, you know, you have to cook. Or something. Yeah, yes, exactly. Clean the yeah. And stuff. Well, that would be their funeral, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, you know, I molded about, and I was living in New York at the time, and I was doing, I was doing quite well there. I, you know, I had, 
you know, I have this other life that I lead with languages where I, you know, speak German and Russian and Spanish. And I had just finished getting a certificate in Russian medical interpreting. And Explain I was, how that happened that you um, I just, so good linguistically. Uh, yeah, I started, um, I started with German uh, in my senior year in high school and uh, did really well at it. And I was sort of directionless at the time, didn't know what I wanted to do. So I decided to do languages. And... Um, I got to go on some trip, you know, with my college to mm. Germany for six weeks or something like that. And then I fell in love with it and decided I needed to study there. So I went and studied there for six years. And then, um, yeah, and studied translation. And I started learning Russian. Um, that was 1988. <laughs> mm. I can't believe how long it's been since I started learning that language. And it's still difficult. Um, so do you actually work as a translator as well? Yeah, I worked in, at uh, NYU Hospital as an interpreter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from but, lots of different languages? From no, just, just Russian. Just Russian? Yeah. Because, oh. um, you know, all the, all the Germans speak English, so... Yeah, that's But there's true. a huge Russian community in New York, you know, out in Brighton Beach and, and Sheepshead Bay and all over the place, actually, that, um, of, you know, older folks that don't... Uh, speak English. Mm. Where does it hurt in Russian? That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 three times a day. <laughs> yeah. call me for the telly. Yeah. That's a fabulous Russian accent. Yeah, it's amazing. So yeah, how about I want a bit more Russian. Yeah. Just describe this porter cabin in Russian. We see if you can guess what you're saying. No, it was очень сложно было бы. Я не знаю вообще, что это такое. But that's not the She's being rude about the shirt you're wearing. Yeah, it's terrific. No, blouse мне очень нравится. Что вы говорите? It's amazing. So, how long did it take you to become fluent in Russian then? Because it's really difficult to learn. A long time. You know, because first of all, I was studying, you know, I, I had no prior knowledge of Russian and I was studying it in German at a German university. So you can imagine doing Russian grammar for the first time in another foreign language. Mm. Um, that makes the whole thing that much more difficult. Yeah. So, you know, um, I had passed the proficiency exam for the German university, but that didn't by any stretch mean that I was perfect in German yet. So um, the first three years, you know, I they really pound you with the grammar for the first two semesters and then you start off immediately translating newspaper articles and stuff like that. Tough? Yeah, it was really tough. But I, you know, I loved it. I was in heaven over there, you know, and I, yeah. I stayed for six years. Um, it, I mean, it took me a lot longer because the Russian was really difficult. The, the test uh, from German into Russian mm. was the one that many people fail. Yeah. Uh, Germans included. And um, <laughs> I had to take it three times. And you only get to take it three times. And if you don't pass it the third time, then you can't study that yeah. Not only at that university, but at any other university. So, on the third time, you passed. And the third time, I got a two, which is one short of the best. Yeah. Grade. So, does everyone in the hospital know about your music career? Is it is no. it difficult to balance? So, yeah, yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing. Did you live two completely twin lives? I mean, no yeah. Idea. Well, I mean, I was sort of giving up on music for a while. Mm. You know, I was I was saying, you know, you're you're in your forties now. You need to get serious about your life. Do you really, you know, you? You have no insurance, you have no retirement plan, you have no car, you have no, you know, house, you have none of these things that you're supposed to have, you know, yeah. when you're, um, but I, I got this offer from Midlake because I played a show with them at the, at the, at Webster Hall and then also at the Bowery Ballroom in New York City and um, they just kept after me and I finally, you know, I, when I realized that they were serious, obviously I had to, I had to take that risk. Mm. But it's the most fantastic story, this. Mm. Don't you think? It's yeah, a complete turnaround. I mean, you, we just watched you playing the 
obelisk stage at, yeah. um, at Latitude here to yeah. an enormous, an incredibly yeah. enthusiastic. It must be a, a wonderful thing well. for you oh, to look out and see that uh, level of, of interest and, and encouragement. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Uh... And how does this how does this album compare to the stuff you're doing with the Zars? Because it seems very confessional. Is it? Do you feel yeah. this is a, a result of what you've been through in the last ten years with the music industry and stuff? Has all gone into this record? Well, I mean, this this whole this record is pretty much about my life up until this point. Yeah. You know, um, sort of in a nutshell. You know, just a lot of things that maybe I didn't feel comfortable saying with the Zars mm. because it what was, sort of things? Um, drug abuse. Uh, you know, growing up in a religious family as yeah. a gay man. Yeah. Um, a lot of the gay issues. You know, these days it's not really much of an issue, but I haven't really dealt with mine yet. Yeah, yeah. You know, so the fact that a lot of the young kids are like, what's your problem? You know? Yeah. Nobody really cares anymore. But the thing is, people, there still is tons of discrimination. Mm. I mean, if you look on, if you look on, uh, for example, if you go to YouTube and look at all the comments under oh, God, all yeah. of the videos. Really? Yeah, it's like... You know, get out of here, you fucking faggot, yeah. and faggot this and faggot that. So it's it's obviously. So it's just good a, that you wrote JC hates fags <laughs> to preempt. Well, yeah. That, I mean, I wanted to talk about the anger that I have felt. You know, because mm. you know, the first twenty years of my life, I was told directly yeah. and unequivocally. You know, so that there was no mistake. Yeah. Um, you know, you're a piece of shit mm. because you're a pervert. And you don't have the same rights as other people. And this because is a you're not. Thing, no, this, is a, this is to do with the religion, isn't it? Well, and just uh, there's a lot of people that feel that way who aren't religious at but all. There's this yeah. line in the song as well. You know. JC hates pretty much anything you want him to. Which exactly. Is like, yeah, like and and, the, and that's it. what people do, right? You know, yeah. they, you know, I don't like cornflakes, so you know, God doesn't like cornflakes. Yeah, yeah. You know, it must be that way. You know, and was and this a small? Were you living in a small town as well? Was I did until I was 12. I grew up in a small town, and um, I was, you know, I, I, we left there when I was 12, but. I, for those first 12 years, maybe for five of those years, I was dealing with um, that knowledge that was growing inside of me that I was attracted to men. Mm. And it was also um, communicated to me that it wasn't okay, you know. And so I felt ashamed of myself. Yeah. And I think that you, I think it's really difficult for you to grow into a confident person if you if you literally feel like you're a second-class citizen, that you yeah. don't have the same rights as other Completely people. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I yeah. I have acted that way all my life. I've been extremely hard on myself because I'm doing, you know, what's difficult is now now that you, when you become an adult, you become responsible for your life and you have to take out the trash, mm. right? You have to take care of all the shit that happened to you, figure out some way to cope with it, you know, and I was finding it very difficult to cope with it mm. because, you know, people weren't attacking me anymore physically or verbally. I was doing it. Yeah. I took the torch, you know. Yeah. And then I was doing it to myself. And so I've been doing it to myself for the last... Well, when we were watching your, um, the, the song about, you know, I'm, I'm sorry I wasn't born with skin that turned yeah. to golden brown, and yeah. I wish I was this, I wish I was that, and I was standing with Mike, our production editor, um, who who said it's really interesting to hear this coming out of a guy who's older, rather than, because this is somebody who's 18, says these kind of things and beats themselves up about yeah. this kind of thing, and then to hear somebody who's older saying that is so refreshing as well, because you never stop feeling that kind of thing. No, but, I mean... Well, as you were saying, you just didn't get the opportunity to do that when, when you were younger, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Was, the, the times have changed, you know? Yeah. And I think there's also a point when you become an adult where where people around you say, all right, that's it. You're an adult now. Put it away. Put yeah. that away. Yeah. You're done. But that's not true. That doesn't exist. Mm. That's not that, That's not what happens with human beings. Yeah. It continues, and you're, you just keep it covered up. Well, I didn't want to keep it covered up, and I think you know one of the things I wanted to say during this interview is that 
you know, some people say, well, why is this, you know, why is this so personal? It's so, you know, it makes me, you know, I've had people say to me, um, uh, it makes me cringe because it's so personal. And I say, well, then maybe you need to do some, yeah. mm-hmm. then maybe you need to do some soul searching, you know, yeah. because it's, it's stuff that lots of people deal with. It's not that crazy when you think about right. it. I mean, every there's you know every everybody in the music business has got a drug problem. You know, yeah. I mean, not everybody, of course, but that's a story that you hear over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So obviously, it's it's the human condition yeah. that we're talking about. And it's also you know? it's funny. The stuff you do is funny and it's witty. Yeah. So it's not. I don't see why it would really make people cringe. And so tying this into your original question, you know, what? How is this different from what you were doing with the czars? It was really important for me to start. You know, because I have I have a lot of friends who love me very much, and I wanted to. Um, I have great friends, and I wanted to express what's good about me, mm. as well as what's bothers me and what yeah. has been difficult for me to deal with, and what's you know shit about me. I mean, I, I wanted to show my sense of humor because that's one of the most developed things yeah. you know about my personality is my sense of humor. Um, also, I'm a huge fan of British humor. I've been going through... Uh, um, well, before I get onto that, um, <laughs> I just wanted to say... Uh, so, I didn't feel... I wasn't ready to express my personality with the czars. Mm. I was still afraid of, of what I am. Mm. You know, I still was rejecting myself. And, you know, alcohol for me and the cocaine and everything... I mean, cocaine really took... Cocaine was not good for me. Because it was my heart just couldn't take it, you know. I kept ending up in the emergency room. I think three yeah. times I did that, and each time it cost like three thousand dollars. And I was always like, <laughs> "That's a deterrent." <laughs> yeah, because I was Coke's always expensive like, expensive enough as it is. <laughs> exactly, and I That's well, a bad lie down. I had I never had any intention of paying a penny of those, mm. you know, emergency room things. You know, I would go right in there and just say, "They'd say, why are you here?'" I'd say, "My chest hurts," and of course they admit you right away if you say your chest yeah, hurts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was even though you knew why it hurt. Well, that was the problem. And they'd say, "Well, what's going on?" And I'd be like, "Oh, I just did a bunch of coke." Because I wanted them to be able to help me, you know. But you would, you wouldn't believe the kind of treatment you get when you, you are that honest. With the U.S. health system, presumably, as well as get, yeah. get in that way. Rather. I mean, they can't really help you if they don't know what you've done, right? Yeah. Absolutely. But, but I would tell them, and you know, you know, straight up like that. And then you know, some of the nurses were just so mean <laughs> because they judge you, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't think you know during the czars, I, I I wanted to obliterate my personality. I felt weak. I felt like a coward. I felt like I couldn't stand up for myself in this world because people were right about me. Mm. So, what do you think people are? Uh, it's, it's interesting standing out. Kate and I standing out watching you just this afternoon. You know, and the 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 people who came to see you have an extraordinarily strong feeling. In fact, a, yeah. we, we'll have to wrap this up very soon because there's a line of people. Yeah, there's a lot of people trying to get, to the to get the autographs. <laughs> what is it you think that they are identifying with so strongly? Well, I, I presume that a lot of people have email you and, and tell you the answer. Yeah. So what do they say? Well, I think, you know, I think people are, I think a lot of people, just like me, are tired of seeing people put on fronts. There's a lot of facades, and I think it's even more, you know, in the States, it's easier to talk about your problems because they do it all day long on the yeah. talk shows. Absolutely. You know, everybody goes to a psychiatrist, everybody has an analyst. You know, that's a, if you don't have one, then you're an outsider, you know. Yeah. Yes. But here in Europe, you know, here in Europe, it's definitely, um, there's more uh, facade building, I think. You have to, you're expected to keep on a happy face in public. You're not expected to talk about the things that you don't like about yourself. Mm. Um, and you also aren't allowed to accept compliments either. It's very, it's sort of like a you know you're not allowed to say bad things about yourself but you're also not allowed to accept compliments yeah. Absolutely. you have to reject those absolutely but and i think that people really identify with somebody saying you know what 
I've done all these things. I've had all these things happen to me. Um, some of them have been nasty. I have a sense of humor about it. And you know what else? I like myself mm. in spite of this. Mm. I think that I am worth um, the trouble. And I think we also expect confessional stuff to be gloomy in this country as well. And yeah. to find someone doing it with humor. I agree. Yeah. It's, Very it's good. So, such a lightness of touch about what you do. And, and some of the musical idioms you use, there's some, some what, what's in England we would call music hall. I mean, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, it's a precise different thing over there. They're kind of uh, old, old, um, old musicals and showbiz, really. Yeah. You know. I just um, love hearing someone in the audience crying out, Chicken bones! Yeah. That's so beautiful, isn't <laughs> it? <laughs> <There's> no, <laughs> but I heard someone was going to do it, I was too shy, and then Chicken Bones came on. It was oh, I just love that. And, you know, um, another reason, I think my sense of humour really fits in with the British sense of humour, mm. because I get British humour. Who are I, the British comedians? You were talking about this earlier. You, yeah. you didn't explain. Who are the British comedians that you like so much? Well, you know, I worship Steve Coogan. Alan Partridge is, oh. has been a huge part of my life for many years. Anna's just come in to saying your public awaits. There's a line of people. <laughs> this is live broadcasting. <laughs> well, so, but just very quickly, so, so Alan Partridge. Alan Partridge. I've been watching Nighty Night with Julie Davis, Fantastic. which is blowing my mind. Human Remains, oh, absolutely yeah, amazing. Uh, Mighty Boosh, Peep Show, uh, Nathaniel, uh, Nathan Barley. Nathan yes. I mean, it's just endless oh and I love Kathy Burke absolutely love Kathy Burke <laughs> Perfect. I think she's amazing it's so nice to hear that and on that bombshell <laughs> on that we shall leave it thank you so much John for chicken joining bones. us and uh, as I chicken bones yeah. <laughs> anyway as I say your public awaits The Word a magazine a website a podcast a way of life that's John Grant uh, talking to Mark and Kate yesterday in this very very overheated porter cabin out the back of the word stage listen to distant bass there it is. When drums stop, we've done this, haven't we? <laughs> we, we, did, we did that, that gag yesterday. yesterday. We <laughs> did that gag yesterday. Um, I don't know if we talked about this yesterday, the, the, the wedding disco. I, I didn't actually see the wedding disco. I don't did you hear about this? Actually, Friday night, one of my daughters came back terribly excited. She said, oh, we had a great time. We went to the, we- the cheesy wedding disco. And I said, well, what's that? He said, oh, you're just going to a you know, particular part of the forest. And there's a stage, and there's kind of people dressed up as brides, you know, men dressed up as brides or whatever. And, and it's full of people dancing to, to what kind of music? I said, dancing oh, Queen they, they, said, they said, oh, just really cheesy stuff. I said, so what's, what do you mean by cheesy stuff? They said, oh, well, stuff that people like. <laughs> and, you know, like ABBA and I don't know, whatever, and Frankie Goes to Hollywood and ABC and whatever. It's the stuff you drunk, dance to when you're drunk. Well, yeah, I suppose so. I said, so, so what makes it a wedding disco? And they said, well, it's because it, they play music that you like, you know, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Sidelight on the whole wedding disco phenomenon. Anyway, last night when I was making my way back to the campsite, I went past the same place and the same disco, which is Cheesy Disco, I think it's called. Fromage. Club Fromage. Club Fromage. Club Fromage. Club Fromage. The honk of Fromage. <laughs> it's very good. They, they, in the same place, they had a couple of guys on stage in Santa Claus, and it was Christmas disco. Christmas disco in the forest in the middle of all. It's going to be New Year's Eve tonight. I suppose it might well be. It might be a bar mitzvah or whatever. Yeah. I like the idea that you just take these festivals, you know, where are they, these particular festivals in the year, take them anywhere you want, you know, and anywhere it's, it's going to engender the right kind of feeling. So there they were playing Elton John's Step Into Christmas. Is that what it's called? Oh, that's perfect. It's very good. So the, the, the wonderful irony of, of, of feeling it under the blazing sun or, yes. you know, the well, harvest moon you know, of summer. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's fair enough. Yeah. Now, we just had a repeat performance at lunchtime today on Sunday uh, from Tom Jones, who started the festival on Thursday night 
in the woods. And uh, somehow, somehow they, they got him back at lunchtime to do the big stage. Well, I think that's a latitude um, tradition, actually. There's a sort of surprise guest. Oh, uh, Tom York, in fact, played this time last year at 11 o'clock in the morning on the Sunday on his own, very successfully. So people look out for some surprise activity at the obelisk stage. And, of course, the massive advantages that he played when actually nobody else was playing. So there's no competition. Yeah, yeah. You know, the other stage, the lake stage, uh, even the, the word stage, haven't started up yet. So if you're actually... And also, it carries... the sound carries yeah. and dominates the entire site. So, you know, the best part of 25,000 people are going, what's that noise, you know? And some of them are going, also, it can't be John Well, the voice is so unnoticeable. The voice is so unstable. And uh, Tom Jones has gone through, we were talking about this yesterday, Johnny Cash is is probably the place to start. It's a template. Johnny Cash, I suppose at some stage, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, was a slightly uh, down at heel, slightly on the back burner, slightly cheesy actually, country and western singer who needed some kind of reactivation. And he then achieved this via Rick Rubin and some rather iconic black and white photography. He became... Somebody rebuilt into a kind of symbol of uh, suffering, of integrity, it was of Mount, enormous emotional Mount resonance. Rushmore plays music. Mount Rushmore, but, uh, Mount Rushmore very, absolutely. And, and that template has been applied to various other people uh, and is now currently being applied, let's be honest, to Tom Jones. What struck me this morning, I'm sure it's the same with you, is that the Tom Jones that I interviewed for a television interview about four or five years ago was a guy with dyed hair and a dyed goatee beard. Uh, his skin was a hey Mr Tangerine man his skin was bright (laughs) orange it really was he looked radioactive you know and I think somebody must have said I don't mean this unkind because I'm very fond of Tom Jones and I understand the uh, difficulty of sustaining careers and fuck god how long has this guy's career been you know Um, but somebody has sat down there presumably his management managed in fact by his son and said first step is to reinvent Tom Jones into something that is authentic you cannot be authentic if you dye your hair. You cannot be authentic if you dye your beard. Do you know what I mean? You've got to look like a normal person, and you've got to be able to sing songs that have a different kind of resonance. And so all his band members look like Waylon Jennings. They all well, look like Waylon Jennings. Exactly. Well, who are his band? Well, see, this is the interesting thing, you know. Be, uh, looking at it from Tom Jones's point of view, you know, you, you put the name Tom Jones on the shingle, you know, and people expect Delilah, you know, it's Las not Vegas. unusual, Las Vegas. Yeah, Las Vegas, cabaret. A bit of a cabaret. laugh, you're going to be able to throw your underwear, you know, it's all that. Well, he's obviously made this record that's kind of quite rootsy and gospely, and yeah. it's fair enough, and it's, you know, from what I heard, what he played of it today sounded very good. You know, and it's kind of keying into the Elvis gospel stuff and all, all that kind of thing. Somebody attempted to come in, they've changed their mind, kind of <laughs> gone out the door. But the problem is that... You can't go out in front of the normal Tom Jones crowd and perform that, can no. you? You know, because he played quite downbeat. It started with What Good Am I? You know, very downbeat. I think an Elvis Presley song. I was in the photographer's pit for a while and people in the front row were shouting out for Delilah and he kept on whispering, Tomorrow! Even though, of course, he's not playing tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant! That's absolutely brilliant! So, so he was able, given, the, you know, the, the, given what Latitude offers this particular weekend... To just do that particular part of it, yeah. and he did it terribly well. And it looks like he's really, really good band, really enjoying it as well. Oh yeah, really Ethan really Johns, Ethan Johns is the son of the great Glyn Johns, the great producer of Rolling Stones and the Eagles and various other people, uh, and uh, on guitar who produced the record. Terribly good drummer, 
Yeah. Really craggy, rootsy, American-looking band, I felt. That, but, uh, yeah. With a British accent. The drummer uh, had a British accent. Oh, OK, well, fine. So, so he's he was, one of us. But, yeah, he one could be ours. one of us. But there's a classic moment of, of old Tom Jones. Uh, if you know someone, he introduced the band, then he introduced the, the, the back That's of the right, yeah. he said, He said, to, and I'm not going to do a patronising Welsh accent, but he, said, he sort of goes, uh, three, three lovely girls. He said, sisters. He sort of went, yes, I know. <laughs> you know <that's> <laughs> So, you know, I thought you were terribly good. No, he was absolutely fantastic. And, and, and I was quite pleased because I was trying to explain to my mate, you know, this concept that we're talking about now. And I said, well, you know, one of the things people tend to do, I haven't heard the record disgracefully because the record's been out for a while, but is they tend to bring in um, great big three dimensional deep rootsy songs that are, are, often have a yeah gospel he just played a gospel song so, so uh, you, what you need now is a blues spiritual and what he plays is a John Lee Hooker song yeah. so I was covered in glory I was uh, you know and, and, and it worked don't you think? Oh, I thought it worked I thought he did very well very well somebody else that we talked to recently was Melvin Benn who's the person who put the whole latitude concept together uh, Mark had a chat with him a few hours ago and started by asking what were his own personal experiences of being a festival goer. <laughs> well, I think you and I are probably about the same age, actually. And so I was going to ask you just about festival experience generally. You know, when I was a teenager, I was going to Reading, I was going to Wheeling, I was going to Lincoln, and I should imagine you probably attended a few events like that. And, 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 and what, you know, looking back at those festivals, you know, what were the, it, things have improved unimaginably, haven't they? You think of the level of suffering, not that we considered it to be suffering, of course, at the time, that we had to endure to see Doctor Strange and Strange. No, it, 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 to be honest, it's... it's. Um, I mean, my, you know, Reading was the one that I used to go to, and I, I went for five or six years on the trot from 1972 onwards. So my first one was 72. And who would have been in the sort of rough headliners in 72? Uh, uh, the Faces. Oh, uh, yeah, the faces. of course. Kicking uh, the footballs into the yeah, crowd. Yeah, of course. Yes, yeah, it's so. And, uh, and, of course, nobody had ever heard of festivals then, really. And all my mates, we, you know, we were all football mad and rugby mad. And, you know, I grew up in Hull and, you know, Hull City and Hull Kingston Rovers. That was what we lived for, really. And, and then me and my mate decided that we'd... We'd go to Reading, and um, all of my mates thought we were completely... They just thought, well, what are you going to do that for? And it's like... To the beautiful well, no, you know, just... Yes. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, I, actually, I'm not sure that I'd even been out of Yorkshire at that point, and genuinely, I'd never been on holiday, and I don't think I'd ever been out of Yorkshire. I'd been to Withensea and Bridlington, but <laughs> I'd, never be, I'd never been... You know, but it, even then... Alan Bird <laughs> and uh, I actually hadn't, you know, and uh, so we, you know, we, 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 we hitchhiked down to, um, we hitchhiked down to Reading, and um, we didn't take anything, we didn't, you know, it wasn't, I mean, now you can come to a festival and, and just turn up and have nothing with you, because tangerine fields camping or pod pads, or you can hire a yurt and all Completely. the, you can, everything here is there. I didn't even have a bag with me. We just took the clothes that we were stood in. We had exactly the same experience. I went to a festival once and, and it, 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 we, we were sold uh, old fertiliser sacks by a farmer yeah. for 50 pence to no, sleep no, in. No, no, and, 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 and at Reading then, there was this stall that sold plastic and it was big rolls of plastic and you bought it for 50p. And it was 50p because it was just after decimalisation, literally That's it was right. a year after decimalisation and uh, you bought it for 50p and, and it was you, you wrapped yourself around in it and slept on the ground and it's like, 
no thought of uh, ten. Uh, thought you didn't drive. Like in fact, woke up soaking wet Completely. in your own condensation. Completely. <laughs> 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 Extremely unpleasant experience. So, uh, so no, it, um, festivals have very much been uh, part of my life all that time, and, and, and they have changed, of course. But what is an interesting point is, what do you think, because you're, you're the promoter of uh, your uh, company, um, Festival Republic, you do Leeds, you do um, Reading, you do, I think you do the Big Chill, you were very involved for a while in Glastonbury, you know. So what do you think the big significant changes have been, uh, you know, in broadly things like diversity, I suppose, would be, you know, would be one, you know, that, that the range of things that we're able to see this weekend at Latitude is absolutely unbelievable compared with how narrow the vision would have been, you know, in 1972. Well, I mean, certainly the diversity is, is, is very much part of, uh, of it, but not everywhere, really. I mean, you, you know, Reading, you know, interestingly, and, and, and Reading and Leeds now, but Reading hasn't actually strayed very far from those days, the, that model. You, the, no, the, the model of when you and I went. Absolutely, and, and, you're and, right. Um, and, because and it's a specific kind of person. It's a specific, specific kind of a, Absolutely, yeah. and... and, and you know, interesting. Reading will always be my favourite festival, and, and, and is my favourite festival because it's entirely. It, there's no frills about Reading. It's just about the music. There's no. Hugh Stevens, um, you know, said to me a few years ago. We was just stood on the stage, and, and 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 obviously at Latitude and a whole number of festivals. There's so many things going on, and you know, there's clowns and you know circus acts and not so much at last year but certainly at other festivals and and Hugh said to me one day he said the thing about Reading is that and, and he said you should make it part of your strap line and he said and I don't know if I'm allowed to swear but anyway he said he said he said, uh, he, he said to me you should just put it there's no fucking clowns here um, and that is and that is what Reading is and, and, and in that sense Reading's model has never changed the toilets are marginally better the organisation is substantially better and, and actually the artists are phenomenally better um, in my view and I, I, I genuinely believe that acts get better and better yeah, um, so. and, and uh, you, you know of course it was fantastic seeing the faces but you know bands now are, you know they're very organised they're much more you're much more likely to see a great set at a festival from a band nowadays than you would have been 30 years ago. But isn't that partly because they've realised that there's a huge difference between playing uh, inside with a roof over your head to a load of people who paid £35 specifically to see you and trying to catch the attention of somebody wandering past on the way to the cabaret tent a quarter of a mile away. And it's now greatest hits, isn't it? Yeah. The feeling I saw, the, I've seen a lot, a lot of the acts, the feeling of absolute past masters of this, yeah. even at a very early no, stage. No. <laughs> they just give you a kind of Queen-style medley of their greatest hits. No, no, completely. And that's and, what you and, want. Well, it, it is what you want. And, 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 and to be honest, if you don't give a festival audience that, it can go very badly wrong. And I've seen it go very badly wrong with a couple of acts that really have wanted to be you know what you know what you know too much up their own arse really so can I ask of, you to name those names or are you of, in of a course you can ask you, no no you can ask till the cows come home but I, probably, <laughs> <laughs> I probably would avoid it but I'll I'll know to people that you are quite happy to say how much you enjoyed I can remember talking to you once about Nirvana at uh, Reading oh, I, I think you said that that was the single greatest performance uh, that you'd, you'd seen at that particular time at, at that time I mean to be fair Rage Against the Machine are probably the archetypal and most down-the-line band for what Reading is now. And, and, uh, and they, they bring that purity that is Reading. No frills. You, you, you know, Zach will get on stage and say, 
you know, they'll play the first song, they'll then say, you know, we're Rage Against the Machine, we're from Los Angeles, California, and then it's mayhem. It's just mayhem. It's musical mayhem. And, and that, again, is what Reading is. So it works perfectly for that. Would, and Alan, I really it... like the idea that you are involved in so many different things, but you can still uh, completely understand the relevance of that act for that audience, because, you know, here you are putting on Florence the Machine, who I saw the other night, who couldn't be further across the scale, the most theatrical, uh, whimsical, almost operatic performance, you know, again, for a completely different audience. No, no, and, so it must and, be very and... satisfying to be able to, to find the right bands for the right uh, constituents. It, it, it is. And, 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 you know, it's, I mean, it, to be honest, it's probably the most rewarding thing about the whole thing. I mean, it, it's great to, you know, see everybody coming to the festival and things like that. But, you know, just making sure that each, uh, it, it's, it's horribly twee in a way. But, I mean, I, the, the, all the festivals, I, you know, I sort of, I treat them like my kids. And no, I, I sort don't of, say that. I nurture them. And I, but I nurture them in, in different ways. They all have their own character and characteristics and 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 I, I you know I just sort of grow them and grow them and in what is the characteristic of this one particularly I mean I can see lots of um, of, of, of real hallmarks that have, have developed about, about last year but what's your what's your uh, your version of that well I mean it's I, I mean uh, not being sort of uh, disrespectful to any other part of the UK it is incredibly English um, um, and, and that I think is you, you know it, it's it's probably I mean it's it is middle class let's not bit about the bush it is middle a, a relatively middle class festival yeah um, um no, I it's mean, characteristic. The, the cabaret tent and, and Sadler's uh, uh, Wells, and, but and but again, not it's not exactly, and 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 you know, it isn't. It, it's not by coincidence that when you come in from the main entrance and the campsite, the very first two things that you come across are the poetry tent and the literature tent. Uh, they are at the at the at the heart of the festival, as opposed to no, being that's literally on the stall, indeed, as yeah. opposed to being on the periphery of the festival, which is what um, what so many festivals do. The music is the core, and, and everything else is is really an adjunct too. And I deliberately set out with latitude to to flip it to put it the other You're way absolutely around. Absolutely, right. that's a brilliant strategic move. I, for example, have finished up this morning at eleven o'clock. Watching uh, opera, yes. which I'm not an opera fan at no. all, and found myself almost by accident uh, across in some distant forest, <laughs> uh, thoroughly enjoying. And I wouldn't normally do that. So no, that's, and, that's... And, 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 and again, that probably one of the characteristics of of, um, of latitude is sort of um, accessible discovery. Um, it, it, it's it's still a relatively small site, and particularly where all the entertainment takes place. It's easy to get around. Um, and, and in moving around, you will discover something that otherwise you wouldn't have um, seen or enjoyed or even thought that you might ever go and bother watching. There was a, um, a, a headline, in, it might be New Music Express or something I read recently, about, about you banning flags, am I right, at Reading? Was that right? That, that, was, that, was, uh, that was two years ago, It was prior to last year's event, actually. But it, 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 I thought that was an extremely good move, because that, that, that kind of thing... It's funny how the tiniest... And anybody listening to this who's been to festivals, i.e. the majority of people, will know just how amazingly irritating it is. No, they can be incredible. So if you got in position to see the group you've been waiting <laughs> to see, and someone's erected an enormous banner saying, Hello, Keith. Yeah, exactly. You know, or, you know, I love sausages. I love sausages, sort of exactly. And it just it completely drives you, you know, nuts, exactly. you know. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, so how I do you did. affect a ban on flags? I mean, it's well, I mean, it, it, you, you just sort of, you know, you just, I, I mean, it, it, in a way, it's sort of how you affect how society has affected the ban on smoking. 
um, is that actually largely it becomes peer pressure. Um, you, you know, if you you know have this position that's not allowed, and um, it, it's very difficult to police that um, externally or with a small number of security personnel. And it, it's peer pressure because it, when it's become banned, the person next to you feels legitimate in saying, "Sorry, mate." Yeah, this yeah. Is, you know this not is banned. You know, we're sick of these things. You know, so it, it's actually peer pressure that, that that does that. So, what would you like to ban next? Will umbrellas be next? Do you think a parasol? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's probably best not to. It's 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 it wouldn't be uh, it, there wouldn't be very many items that are banned, but there'd probably be a few people. But I'm, I'm not going to go there. No, that's <laughs> <laughs> it'd be a long list of people yeah. as well, actually. So, um, sure, certainly no, a, a, among them will I've be all them. those. Yeah, I'm sure you have, but will be all those people currently uh, proposing a 25% cut in the arts. They would certainly be at the top of it, actually. Yes, I can understand you've had your tackles with them. Is there a policy um, that you operate here? Is it, I, I, I can tell that there is to some extent. Well, you're not necessarily looking for um, putting 90% of your budget into U2 or into Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. It's, it, you're not going to find Neil Young. I mean, the general... Um, you know, the, the general mix has been either quite alternative fringe uh, comedy and literary figures and then very, very uh, new uh, acts. The, the fact that you're headlining with people like Florence and people like Edmund Sun and, and the National. I mean, that's a, a policy, presumably. It, 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 it is. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's a policy of... Um, it's certainly a policy of... Um, well, I mean, it, it, it's, it's both policy and budgetary, um, really. Um, it, it, in order to have the diversity that Latitude has got, um, it costs an awful lot of money to have the Royal Opera House here, to have Sadler's Wells, to have, um, you know, Sebastian Folks, you know, to have um, not necessarily in individual fees, but in, in infrastructure and capability of being able to house all these things. And, and in order to do that it, it, and keep a ticket price at a certain level... Um, you also have to then limit how much you can spend on a headline act. Completely. Um, and, and if all your budget goes on the big superstar, well, it does two things. A, it means you've got nothing less left to spend on anything else, and then it becomes the superstar show as opposed to a festival. Um, but B, it over-dominates it. Um, and that, that just was never the intention here. As I mentioned, the, the absolute intention was this... All the arts... Um, uh, arenas were the starting point. I, I effectively, what I really wanted to do was was uh, was create a live version of a Sunday broadsheet, um, and very happy to you know sit on a Sunday morning and and, and read you know the, one of the broadsheets or a number of the broadsheets and and read reviews of books, read reviews of films, read reviews of of, of, of art exhibitions, of you know poetry, you know the whole thing, the whole gamut. And, and, and I bring that to life. And I wanted to bring it to yeah, life, so basically. Really well uh, 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 and um, because uh, I could tell from my friends that I wasn't the only person enjoying that level of of, of, of diversity of culture. And I just thought, yeah, I could, we could do this. I could make this work, actually. And, uh, of course, my team thought that I was nuts, really, because... Everybody Why? knows. Well, because everybody knows, Reading is probably my favorite. You know, is my favorite yeah. festival, and and for all the reasons that we've talked about, and 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 and, and when I announced to my team that I was going to create a festival that, at the heart of it, was literature and poetry, 
I, I think they really did think that I'd been out on the na- out on the town too long. So that I'd and uh, and uh, they, of course, they embraced it. And and I, I think, without doubt, it, you know, virtually all of my staff, a lot of my staff, get involved very creatively in it. It isn't just um, it, you know the person that um, the person that normally does all the passes for uh, the you know the artists and the guest list. Um, you know, she programs the In the Woods stage and she also creates the kids' area. Um, and it, 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 there's a lot of my staff get involved in lots of different levels on all sorts of creative levels. And, um, you know, for them it's been terrific, even though they couldn't quite believe that I was suggesting it. must be very exciting. I came into the, to the site um, uh, very early the other day with this fantastic production pass I've got. I can get in before anyone else because it's still locked up. And wandered around on my own, watched Ben Sebastian's string section uh, sound checking. And you then get to look at the whole thing in context and think, I was trying to imagine what it would have been like when you first found this site. I don't know how you found Henham Park, but to look around and see the potential. You suddenly look up and there's a forest across a lake and we could have a band playing on the lake. And, yeah, I mean, you know, We could do all sorts of things up in the woods. It must have been very exciting. To no, it, well, it, it was, to be honest. And, and interestingly enough, it was, it was it, it, going back to that sort of, that thought of, you, you know, making one festival different to another... Um, I'd had the idea of Latitude in my head for about three years, but I, I, I needed a very beautiful place and a very special place to do it in order to make it work. And, and um, I'd looked at lots, lots of different places, and um, one of my... Uh, a girl that used to work for me actually grew up across the road. And, and she, you know, rang me and said, look, you really should come and look at it. It's very nice. And, and I thought, oh, you know... So I sent my site manager down um, uh, to... Uh, to look at the festival, and he came down, and and it's sort of like looking at a, a house when you're house hunting or flat buying, or you know. We'll take you. You you, you look. You, you know you you, you <laughs> no you, you you go into a place and immediately you know it's right or immediately no, you know I it's wrong. That, yeah. And uh, and he 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 was here and he rang me and he he rang me from probably not far away from where we're sat now and I had not been at that point and he said, Melvin, this is really really nice, but there's two problems with it. Um, I think we could, you know, try and work something out, but there's two problems with it. And, and the problem is that there's this bloody great lake in the middle of the site, and, and it's full of woods. And, and, of course, a lake in the middle of Redding, or Redding uh, being full of, full of woods, would be an absolute disaster. Full you know, <laughs> fishing people out by their underpants. And literally... And, and, and dredging for cans So his fossils. concept of what he was looking for was based on other festivals in that sense. But, of course, I knew... I, I was in that slightly advantageous position of knowing what I want, and I, I said... Actually, that sounds almost exactly what I'm looking for. And he said, what? I said, I'm going to come and look. And I came and looked and again immediately just fell in love with it and knew exactly what I wanted to create. Well, I can't help thinking that there can hardly be any stately homes with, uh, with, with parks in, in the United Kingdom that are now not already signed up by a festival promoter. <laughs> so very lucky to get it. But look, I won't hold you up any longer because I know you've got to get back on the, uh, the electric cart no, indeed. and charge around. But thank you so much for coming. No, my pleasure. And thank and, you, uh, thank and you well, guys any, for being idea, here. Any idea any... Changes next year, or is it too early to say? No, it's much too early to say. I mean, I, I, I increased the capacity this year uh, from 30,000 last year to 30, 35 this year. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick at that. Um, so capacity-wise, and general overall structure-wise, there won't be too many changes. But uh, enjoyment-wise, it'll continue to grow. Fantastic. Melvin Benn, our promoter of Latitude, talking to Mark earlier. And if you were listening to the podcast yesterday, uh, one of our guests was Jeff Lloyd. Uh, from Absolute Radio. Uh, it was great to have him here. And we was talking about, wasn't he, Mark, 
how he was worried about uh, the offer he'd got to introduce Bell and Sebastian. Well, that was just so funny because we, we were actually just signing off and saying thanks for coming along and, you know, and on your way if you want to. And this, we then extended this for about 10 minutes because we got more and more fascinated. And the idea was, if asked to introduce Bell and Sebastian to a crowd of best part of 15,000 people, what would you say? And Dave and I, being terrible old hacks and rather interfering, really, weighed in with some suggestions, didn't we, well, about we said, what we, we thought would be the right thing to do. We said the say. audience appreciates a band being introduced being bigged up. Absolutely. But the, but the practical difficulty he had, because I saw him do it, is that he came on and he wasn't introducing them when they were coming well, straight no, this, away. This, this, this is the key point, because we said, that what, you, what do you want to do? Whatever you say, it's got to end with... And there please welcome Bang. the mighty <laughs> Bell and Sebastian. First chord. And, and what you want is Bell and Sebastian to be there and to play. You don't want any uh, intermission, because it'll just completely sap the energy fact, out of the moment. Through no fault of John. No fault. What whatsoever. actually happened was Bell and Sebastian either minutes. didn't want to be introduced or I don't know what happened, but anyway, he then had to introduce them as a part of a back announcement to yes. the group playing forward. Crystal Castles, castles were they? So, oh, uh, so, Castles, that's yeah. boring. <laughs> so, so what, what, what happens then is, no, carry because you were watching, you, you actually saw the, the, the oh, back announcement, didn't you? Uh, well, he did a very good, uh, you know, on this stage in 15 minutes' time, will be a group who haven't played live in four years or something like this. And he said, you know, I've always been a big fan, and, you know, if you like, does anybody here like the smell of second-hand bookshops, I think? Does anybody else here like lots of milk in their tea? He did uh, another one. Seaside in the rain. Seaside in the rain. And got really good, you know, response from the audience. Now, so, I wasn't there when Bella well, Sebastian that, actually that, 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 We can this together brilliantly between the two. I then saw Stuart Murdoch's response. I hadn't heard Jeff, but obviously I could piece it together. So Jeff then goes, rather sarcastically, he goes... Stuart well, goes, you mean. Stuart, sorry. Stuart goes, rather sarcastically, um, uh, uh, you know, apparently we were introduced before, um, uh, I, I thought it was quite funny, in, in a manner that suggests that the majority of right-minded people didn't think it was very <laughs> funny. And what he said is he said, I am now, of course, drenched myself in the, in the in odour second-hand books... And I've put extra milk in my tea, so I could I could obviously work back from this as to what roughly had been said. But then Jeff, God bless him, who I feel a lot of sympathy for. Absolutely, I just tweeted as he wanted to. Say, what did oh, he said that? I took I took David up with Mark Ellen's advice, and it backfired. Well, you know, but it, not not his fault. Not Don't his feel fault. bad about it, Jeff. Yeah. Don't not feel bad about it at all. Not his fault. You know, yeah. I th- I not think, guilty. I think everybody should, you know, we are here to keep the red beach ball of entertainment in the air, and aren't happiness we? And joy. And if a member of Bell and Sebastian chooses to puncture that, <laughs> you know, and tremble it like only a Scotsman can, <laughs> you know, it's so, you know, don't feel bad he about it. He gave it his best shot, Jeff, I think. So, you know, next time you get an offer, you know, do it again, Jeff. Jeff, don't come to us anytime you want more advice. We're freely available. This podcast was brought to you by the Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. This podcast is brought to you by The Word magazine, media partner of Latitude Festival 2010. For more details, go to www.latitudefestival.co.uk. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.